And now for a very special treat for the young and the young at heart, here is Larry Bud Melman, president of Melman Productions and Melman Bus Lines, to read the traditional night before Christmas. So snuggle up to the TV and listen along, won't you? My God. Was a night, was a night before Christmas. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Oh, now I gotta read Spanish. De pourquoi avez-vous? Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And, oh, God. And Santa Claus came down the chimney. <laughs> came down the chimney. No, I don't know. Them. Oh, God. So as I was saying before, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And old St. Nicholas came down through the chimney and gave out the presents to the children. And that ended Christmas. <laughs> as I was saying before, and, and it turned out to be a very Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. It was magic, wasn't it? An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 439, Submission 2459. The David Letterman Holiday Film Festival. The David Letterman Holiday Film Festival was a series of specials that aired on NBC on November 30th, 1985 and November 28th, 1986 on the NBC Television Network. Well, guys, this special Christmas episode for you here at It Was a Thing on TV is going to be presented a little differently. This is mostly going to be entirely taped. This was not recorded on Skype or Zoom. So what we did was, David Letterman, in 1985 and 1986, did a series of holiday film festivals involving short films with some big-name celebrities. And these aired around the holiday season in 1985 and 1986. Roughly, I believe, the Friday after Thanksgiving or two days before Thanksgiving. Now, I looked at TVTango.com 
the first special, I'm going to presume, because it aired on November 30th of 1985, I'm going to presume it aired on the slot where Friday Night Videos was after Carson on Friday. Because I don't think you know this, but Letterman used to air on NBC from Monday through Thursday, and Friday would be just for Friday Night Videos. And I guess maybe at some point, maybe in the late 80s, early 90s, they added a fifth night to Letterman or... So maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe it was when Conan came in later on, and Friday Night Videos was getting like long in the tooth. Maybe they added the fifth night of late night. But all the while, I presume that this aired the first one at least, where Friday Night Videos usually was, and the second one on November 28, 1986, was a primetime special at 10 o'clock. So we have some various. Short films involving such luminary names as Catherine O'Hara, Bette Midler, Harry Shearer, Michael Keaton, Dave and Paul themselves, Jonathan Winters, Chris Elliott, Diane Sawyer, and Michael J. Fox. Now, the specials themselves are not on YouTube per se, but I'm going to presume that all the short films from the two specials are in clips, at least the segments in full on YouTube. And the Letterman YouTube channel has actually put at least five of them online. So, in the description of this episode, we are going to have each short listed along with the YouTube channel it's credited with at the bottom in the description on our Podbean page. So, you'll get an idea of at least the tone of the special when you're watching the whole thing. But, we're going to start with Chico with the first segment from Andrea Morton and Catherine O'Hara. And this is a video about a very sensitive subject for a woman, PMS. What is your opinion on PMS? PMS. Yes, that's premenstrual syndrome, isn't it? What is your opinion on PMS? That is the question asked by Andrea Martin and Catherine O'Hara as they portray filmmakers Mary Marcus and Hannah Champion illustrating the monthly cycles of a woman's reproductive health as frankly as is allowable on this broadcast. And I'll tell you right now, their hair and their staging is the least awkward thing about this video right now. It is oppressive and mysterious and beautiful and terrifying and painfully inconvenient and very, very special. They're trying to talk about it without really, you know, talking about it. And it's getting very, very, very awkward. But let's be honest, I can look at Catherine O'Hara all day. And apparently Andrea Martin cannot. Because while Andrea Martin's dancing around the whole ordeal, Catherine O'Hara is just getting right to it. So apparently PMS not only affects a woman, but... Anyone within a mile radius. And apparently everybody who has it is a victim. 
Although, from a completely medical standpoint, it is a completely normal process that a woman goes through every month. And remember, I am a medical professional. I can say this. That's putting it very simple that it affects your mind. That's basically PMS in as bare a bones as you can make while making a joke of it. And we go into this uh, day in the life of uh, a character by the name of Anna Rico, who is played by Catherine O'Hara. She's a crossing guard. And she is very loud about it. And now she wants to throw hands. Okay, so the next question is, is PMS a good defense for murder? Again, I am a medical professional. I am not a legal professional, so I cannot answer that question. We're back to our original framing device, which is a white room with Andrea Martin and Catherine O'Hara going absolutely crazy. And in Andrea's case, getting incredibly drunk. And now we're just relaxing. And now here we have an actual simulation. Uh, Andrea and I'm, I believe this is... Who is this? I have absolutely no idea who this person is. But Andrea is with a gentleman. And they're having relations. And... Within a hidden camera, Andrea is going absolutely crazy. I think she's dressed like her lesbian character. No, no, wait, no. I'm getting ahead of her. I'm getting ahead of myself. And now we're going into a Calvin Klein commercial. No, there you go. Now she's dressed as her lesbian character, Dutch Leonard. Uh, if you've ever seen SCTV, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, this is basically a public service announcement in the form of a Calvin Klein commercial. Kind of. What's the word? Oh. It is. <laughs> you know, she was like a... I didn't get and, and, and she's basically uh, making this any more awkward than it absolutely has to be, and yeah. I was afraid to ask. Now, somewhere between Christmas and being buried alive is PMS. PMS. No, you're not crazy. And that's basically the crux of the film. Um, and I'm looking at uh, Andrea and Catherine in the wigs in the white room. And believe it or not, this is the least awkward thing about the whole piece. And now they're fighting. This is going to end well. <laughs> okay. 
Well, there, that's it. Um, Andrea Martin has one more question. Do you think that we should be making a film on PMS? That is a good question that I will leave to smarter individuals to answer. The end. The next short film is going to be reviewed by Mike, and it's from the divine one herself, Miss Bette Midler, and it's called Angst on a Shoestring. My first video is called Angst on a Shoestring. This is somewhat notable because the person who produced it is, of all people, Bette Midler. Okay, that's a very interesting transition. It goes from color to black and white. And I was going to try a very smoky black and white. Why bother? 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 Maybe I'll get a lift. Why bother? Maybe I'll get a job. Why bother? Maybe I'll empty an ashtray. Why bother? You shave your legs today. Six months later, you gotta do it again. <laughs> Why bother? Do you know that the only museum in Las Vegas is run by Liberace? Why bother? Lady Di finally came to the United States. She brought 90 trunks, 10 hairdressers, Three makeup artists. She went to J.C. Penny. I said, Lady Di, why bother? <laughs> there are 88 keys on that piano. This chump knows five. I have a star named after me on Hollywood Boulevard. It's under a fire hydrant. Why bother? focuses his fashion spotlight on another part of the female anatomy. I have fatty deposits on all of them. Why bother? The deodorant 
section in any drugstore in the United States is bigger than the biggest meat department in all of the USSR. Tell me, do we as a nation smell that bad? <laughs> I fasted for 29 days. I took a high colonic every day. I lost three pounds. My animist said, Why bother? Dr. Ruth. Why bother? I had a boyfriend once. He said to me, How come you never tell me when you're having an orgasm? I said to him, You're never around. So why bother? I contemplated suicide. I went right to my medicine chest. I mixed Midol with diet pills. I had my period six times in one day. I don't know why I bothered. Hey, what's the matter? Did I say something wrong? Where you going? Wait a minute, I'll cheer up. Maestro, play something seasonal. Dance the halls with bows of holly. Fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa. And it should be noted that as the camera panned out of the scene away from the uh, speaker, it went from black and white to color. Why bother? Next, we go back to Chico with a short film from Paul Schaefer and the world's most dangerous band called Dress Cool. Dress Cool. This is available on the official Letterman YouTube page. If you scroll to a minute 30 in, that's where it begins. And that's where we learn that the director of this piece is Meryl Marco. And according to my research, she's an author and a writer and an occasional stand-up comedian still working and living to this day. And apparently she was dating David Letterman at the time, so she may have gotten an in that way. But yeah, uh, we're going a minute 30 into it, and this is, well, this is written by Paul Schaefer and the world's most dangerous band. We're going to go ahead and play it right now. It is similar to, but legally distinct from story-type music videos of the mid-1980s with new wave bands looking for one more hit on MTV. 
We have Paul Schaefer in a headpiece who kind of looks like um, Rick Ocasek, but not really. And we have Will Lee on the bass, Sid McGinnis on guitar, and Steve Jordan on drums. Sid McGinnis was actually at the top of the sketch. And we're at a bar now. We have this lovely lady. We have, oh God, Steve Gort. Yeah, Sid McGinnis is on guitar with this uh, nerdy getup. And um, speaking of nerdy getups, here's this guy with a nerdy getup and his lady friend basically wants him to, you know, dress cool. Come on. He, she even makes a point to mention it. Gotta dress cool. Gotta dress like this band right here. Especially Steve Jordan. He's the coolest. And, oh, speaking of cool, it's Larry Bud Melman in a trench coat, ladies and gentlemen. And then we have a quick cut of the band dressed as punks. And more Larry Bud Melman. All right. Verse two, Steve Jordan on the drums singing. And that is not his grandfather. I mean, it could be, but it's not. Actually, uh, Paul Schaefer looks more like Mark Mothersbaugh, but whatever. But you, I, I'm kind of wondering, did everybody in the 80s have an oversized, um, an oversized suit? Actually, now that I think about it, Paul Schaefer looks like Elvis Costello. There we go. Paul Schaefer looking like Elvis Costello. And there's Larry Bud Melman again. And now we have a, a whole take where Paul's like, you know what? Screw the hairpiece. I'm going on natural. And now the rest of the band is joining the guy at the bar with Larry Bud Melman. And for some reason, they're all dressed like the Beatles now. And now we have, uh, who is this? Will Lee playing the bass. And we're doing the whole Peter Gabriel stop motion thing where he's deciding what to wear by simply thinking about it. Which, you know, we all wish we could do. Anyway, uh, this features all the tropes of it, some of the good music videos of the 80s and a few of the bad ones but all of the awesome of the band. Plus, you know, Larry Bud Melman's in it. They could have released it in 1986. They could have had a radio hit. They didn't, but you know what? That's just fine. By the way, check out this lick. Ain't it something? Anyway, Paul Paul insists in, interest, in introing the video. Okay, now Steve looks like a Christmas tree. Is that on purpose? I don't know. But anyway, Paul insists this is not a music video, but it has things in common with the video. It's a good watch if you want to see Paul in a new wave hairpiece and the band dressed like the Beatles for some reason. And also uh, Steve dressed like a Christmas tree. And also Larry Bud Melman in various forms of dress and a cat in a dress 
And there are the Beatles again. Is that David Letterman? I want to say that is. I don't know. I want to say that looks like Letterman. May not be Letterman, but it kind of sort of looks like it. But yeah, really cool stuff there. Good watch. We want to see Paul in a new wave hairpiece. I can confirm that, yes, it in fact was David Letterman at the end of that short in the music video of Dress Cool. So now I'm going to go to myself presenting Harry Shear's segment for the 85 Letterman Holiday Film Festival. All right. So now we are going to go on to Harry Shear's short film for the David Letterman Holiday Film Festival. And you all know who Harry Shearer is. There's no point of me trying to explain it. This one is called The Making of You Wouldn't Believe Our World. And it's featuring some very special guests. Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Marsha Strasman. So, here we go with You Wouldn't Believe Our World. You know, Michael, so much is changing all around us these days. I know what you mean, Marsha. Change is all around us. But it's lucky for us there are some things that do stay the same. You're right. Like the autumn leaves in New England. Right. And the Yanks in the World Series. Right. And good old Majesco Industries. That's the... Wrong. Cut. Print. Lunch. Earlier this year, Majesco Industries, a large multinational conglomerate, changed its name to MJI Incorporated. To celebrate this change and to inform its thousands of customers, suppliers, and employees, MJI commissioned a musical film, You Wouldn't Believe Our World, starring Marcia Strassman and Michael McKeon. We thought you might like to see how this film was made. Lunch. You know, Chip, I don't, I don't know if I should say anything, but uh, the Yanks were not in the World Series last year. I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think anyone will you sure? remember. Anyway, they're going to be looking at you. They're not going to listen to what you say, you know? Yeah. See, we were one of the first multinationals to uh, totally abandon the old house organ concept and to opt instead for the video presentation philosophy. So... Now we enter a situation where, obviously, we've grown a little bit too big for our corporate nomenclature or name, and uh, from the idea of all the many things that we do, and the fact that we are, in fact, a true multinational, that is to say, our funds never settle in any given country, we evolved and refined the concept of, you wouldn't believe our world. You wouldn't believe our world, and that's why we're changing our Interests we do. The butcher, the baker, the missile maker, the Polak, the Irishman, the Jew. Had trouble believing too, but we want you to believe our world. And that's why we're changing our name from Majesco Industries to MJI. You wouldn't believe our world. 
I'd never done uh, an industrial film before. I think everybody in the business has at one time or another done uh, industrial shows, you know, like little Broadway musicals, except you're playing to a room full of uh, jewelers or what have you. But a film, I, I tell you, the first couple of days around that set, the electricity was almost as intense as it gets in a real movie. Okay, we're gonna try it again. And... Scooch into position. Aside from everything else, it's, it's a learning experience for me. You know, I'm finding out all about this incredible corporation. I mean, it starts out as majestic fittings and fasteners, and before you know it, it's like this gigantic, amazing thing. I think when people have to sit there and watch you, you feel like giving them just that little bit more, you know what I mean? Just another multinational conglomerate. <laughs> yes, Michael. It's a corporation with a lot on its mind. You gotta have fun. Uh, I loved Marsha, and the crew that we worked with were really, really special people. Just to shoot at American defense mechanisms, they all had to get top security clearance. But I think that family feeling that we had for those two weeks really shows through in the emotional honesty we were able to convey. At least I hope so. Controlled warheads. 
If you've ever listened to a show with Harry Shearer or watched This Is Spinal Tap, yeah, you get an idea of what you would have expected from this short. Uh, Very good. I liked Michael McKee in this. I liked Christopher Guest as the director guy. Kind of going... It's kind of like a ham in this kind of segment. But this was a very funny segment there from Harry Shearer and the Spinal Tap people, as you can expect. So, I give this short on the Greg Diener rankings. Now, the way I do my system is I do a Dave Meltzer rating a match in the Tokyo Dome style. So, I'm going to rate this segment here for the David Letterman Holiday Film Festival at about uh, I'm going to rate it five and a half stars out of four. Yeah. Five and a half stars out of four. That's my ranking. So now let's go to our final segment from the 85 Letterman Holiday Film Festival with Chico looking at Michael Keaton's But I'm Happy. This is another one of those films that originates from Letterman's official YouTube account. You can go there, watch it in its entirety, including the intro. But right now, we're just going to get right into it. This is called But I'm Happy. Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, John Gielgud, and Robert Redford... By the way, this this begins, I want to say, three minutes in. You go three minutes in, and it says right there, Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, John Gilgood, and Robert Redford will not appear in this film written, produced, and directed by Michael Keaton, who, by 1986, pretty much paid his dues, honed his comedic chops. This was after Mr. Mom, but before Batman, so... Make your own little uh, mental timeline there. Uh, fun fact, Michael Keaton and David Letterman actually worked together. They're actually old friends. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they were on the Mary show. I believe um, 13 Week Theater had a really good, really good doc about that. But the question here is, who is the real Michael Keaton? Is it this guy who's strutting around the place in his bathrobe and dragging a smoke, acting like he owns the place. Let's go to his agent. Apparently he wants his agent to count his money or count his women. Well, it turns out Mike has no money. Mike has no women. Mike has no car. And apparently he doesn't remember where his house is because, as his agent will say, 
He doesn't have a house. So there you go. Mike has no hit movies, no house, no car, no women, no money. Oh, gosh. What are you going to do? Because he hasn't had a home for months. He has no home, no cars, no money. It's gone. It's over. What's Michael Keaton to do? How about an actual job? Like a nine to five, you go in at nine, punch out at five, and do an honest laborer's work. Just so happens that, oh, is it me or was that song bad to the bone in every 80s movie ever? Anyway, he was looking to be a psychologist, but instead we have a person in charge of fish entrails. And he's working with this guy who obviously looks like he's escaped an asylum. He thinks Mike is, you know, researching a new role. He, he says it's too complicated to explain. Just so happens, the, the, the wacko doesn't work here. He volunteers here. And Mike needs a new job because this is absolutely... um. I don't know how demeaning this could possibly get. Not only is he dumping entrails, but he's working with a guy who wants to shoot rats. And all he can say is, I bet your name and the word state hospital come up in the same sentence a lot, don't they? Alright, so Mike's looking for some escape from the whole fish hauling thing here. How about Bill and Ernie's carpet mania sale? Unfortunately, he can't exactly hit his marks, especially when it comes to dropping his pants. So remember, it's not I'm dropping my pants for you, as I'm dropping my pants. For you. Can't even get that mark right. He, we must be maniacs. So he has to act like he's a maniac. And so doing take two. And um, this guy is back. This guy from the fish market. Basically saying he needs two squirrels next to him. And, yeah, he's basically following Mike around. So now he's at a bar. He's getting drunk. And what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? It's that Phil and Ernie's Carpet Mania commercial with the crazy guy as the pitch man. I'll bite the head off of any rodent to close the deal. Eddie wrote it, so bring the kids. I'll be no, do not bring the kids. Do not bring the kids. That is a red flag. That is a timeout. We are not bringing the kids. 
So here we are on the Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Sunset Boulevard. He is selling combs, celebrity combs. This is how this is how far he's gone. Selling co Tony Curtis's combs. So Tony Curtis's comb from the Mod Squad in order to get by. Tony Curtis. So Hollywood Babylon. What happens when a Hollywood big shot is resorted to selling combs after losing a carpet gig with Tony Curtis? Uh, so Mike is just walking around. He is absolutely um, confused. Runs into Ron Howard. He's like, hi, bye. I thought I, I watched this before. I thought that was the homeless guy. No, that's Ron Howard. So now he's at Father Tito's retreat for really confused guys who like to delude themselves into thinking they're actually complex and interesting. And that's where he's doing this interview from. He is now a monk who has taken a vow of silence. And yet he is interviewing. He just wants one second to finish his back. Hey, I just want to finish the interview. And he also wants to get in a good word, probably back with Ron Howard. <laughs> and, and he's back to his old self, basically saying this interview is over. But hey, at least he's happy. So that does it for the segments from the 1985 Letterman Holiday Film Festival. And we'll get to the 1986 Letterman Holiday Film Festival segments right after these Christmas holiday season era appropriate messages. I hope you join us New Year's Eve. We will have hats and horns uh, for everyone. Uh, Laura Branigan will be here. B.B. King will also be here. And, of course, hats and horns. Wednesday on St. Elsewhere. Will dream research turn into a medical nightmare? Kind of malarkey really singes my drawers. Perhaps more than any other time of year, this is the season when millions of people discover Polaroid cameras do what no other kind of camera can do. It's a special Christmas Eve A-Team when Mr. T goes home to protect his mother. Nobody messing with my mama. Then the Riverside guys chase a mermaid. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. And can Remington Steel save a hooker? We prefer to be called love brokers. From a hitman? Not from where I'm standing. Tuesday. Soap Opera Digest polled its readers, and Days of Our Lives was voted the most popular daytime drama. We won! See why Days of Our Lives will excite you. So, we got the gift? We went to the J.C. Penney holiday sale. And? We got something to help my mother in the kitchen. A cook. A microwave on sale. And for Jennifer? Mm, beautiful robes. She'll love them. On sale? I love them already. And blankets for the twins. Great. Now they'll never get out of bed. Well, they will for their new fox sportswear. So, what do you get me? Gift wrap. 
You better get busy. Uh -huh. The Jay-Z Penny Holiday Sale. Hurry before it's all wrapped up. Friday, join the kids from the Cosby Show. Punky Brewster, Silver Spoons, and Give Me a Break on an all-new holiday treat when Andy Williams and the NBC Kids search for Santa. Then, Mr. T, Emmanuel Lewis, and Ty Babylonia and Randy Gardner bring holiday cheer in a Christmas dream. Friday. Welcome back. So now we resume with the 1986 David Letterman Holiday Film Festival. And our first subject comes from the man himself, David Letterman. Here's Mike looking at Dave's entry in the 1986 Holiday Film Festival called Feeling in Love. This next video is entitled Feeling in Love, and it was produced by the one and only David Letterman. It looked like another boring Friday night. For months, Paul had been trying to set me up with the right girl. I never dreamed that tonight, she would walk into my life. A party for Schaefer? Hi, Wendy. Oh, hi, hi Paul. Sorry, sorry we're late. Oh, I just got Listen, here. Listen, Dave, Dave. Uh, Wendy, this is Dave. And uh, hi, Dave, David. this is Wendy. Hey, it's Hal. I should wonder what he's doing here. Who's Hal? Oh, that's Hal Gurney. He's the director of the show and one of Dave's closest friends. Come on. Hi, Hal. Having dinner alone? Dave? Well, actually, I'm waiting for my wife. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. You know, uh, I don't think I ever met Mrs. Hal Gurney. Really? No. Here she is now. What a knockout. My feet are killing me. This place. Here, I don't think you've ever met Dave. No, I don't think you've ever met. A perfect Hello. woman, nobly planned, to warm, to comfort, and command. What was that, Dave? Wordsworth, uh, Ode to a Woman with a Rose. Oh, you must be interested in flowers. Has Hal talked to you about our garden? Uh, no, he hasn't. Uh, uh, let me join you for dinner, and and you can tell me about the garden. But Dave, what about Paul and your friend? Shut up, Hal. Aphids, red spiders, Japanese beetles, slugs, we had them all. The slugs got into the corn, not the golden bantam, but the buttered corn. The corn turned out fine, though. But you know what I'm proudest of? My tomatoes. Oh, uh, please, please, tell me about the tomatoes. Dave's really interested well, in this gardening, isn't he? I've how. never seen him this way before. Well, the tomatoes came in bigger this year than ever before, and there wasn't a single slug on them. The only problem is I had to give most of them away because my husband won't eat anything with tomatoes in it. Your husband? Yes, hell. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. Hal says he can't eat tomatoes because of his sensitive stomach, but I think he just doesn't like my cooking. Doesn't like your cooking? Doesn't like your cooking. And you, Hal Gurney. I better go talk to him. Waiter. Dave, what has gotten into you? What's the matter with you? Are you blind? Hal is no good for that woman. I love her. 
love her. She's already married to Hal. They've been married 25 years. To me, they look pretty happy. Oh, yeah? Well, Hal Gurney does not have a monopoly on happiness. I want my share. And I'll tell you something else. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to make that woman mine. <laughs> and have acknowledged your consent before us. Now, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the laws of the state of New York, I pronounce you man or wife. You may kiss the bride. All right, I did it. I married Mrs. Hal Gurney. Yeah. Yeah, you did. But at what cost? By stealing Hal's wife, you have alienated everyone on the show. Why do you think that nobody came to your wedding? Paul, that's not true. Look, here's Biff Henderson, one of our stage managers. Hi, Biff. Dave. Here's a little gift from everyone on the crew. <laughs> Look, I don't care what you people think. For once in my life, I'm happy. Come on, honey. Welcome to honey, the uh, program, boy. Honey, wake up. The show's on. I'm about to do something really funny. <laughs> You're not going to see through the honeymoon, are you? Come on. Wake up. Yeah, look, see what I did here? I pretended like the joke didn't work, and then I made a really goofy face, and I got a huge laugh. That was pretty good, huh? <laughs> you know, now that you're my wife, you'll learn all the tricks that I use to make the show a big hit. Doesn't the director have a lot to do with it? Well, what is the deal? You've been talking about Hal all night. Just relax and watch the show, please. Ladies and gentlemen, as you all know, I was married today to Mrs. Hal Gurney, who uh, divorced our director so she could run off with me. Uh, can, can we get a shot of Hal now in the control room? Hal. You know, I, I think we've seen enough. This is not going to work. I know what you're thinking. I should leave right now and go back to Hal. Oh, no. No, no. What I was thinking is, tomorrow when I get to work, I'll fire Hal. No. I think my idea is better. Goodbye, Dave. Oh, no. No, just... No, no. Please, no. After Mrs. Gurney left me, I couldn't get her out of my mind. I was a wreck. I felt like I would never laugh again. Then one day, I happened to pass a movie theater. I saw what was playing. Chaplin. City Lights. Good old Charlie. He was my idol. And he was there to cheer me up when I needed him most. I had to go in. Of course, I'd already seen City Lights, so I went to see what was playing in Cinema 2. It was Porky's Five. And let me tell you, I never laughed harder in my life. The movie put the world back in perspective for me. I felt good about myself again. I could go on living. Just for the record, there was no Porky's 5. From what I can tell, there is the original Porky's, Porky's 2, and Porky's Revenge. Well, at least we know what Dave fell in love with in the end. He fell in love with Porky's. This next entry is called My Day with the Stars and is produced by the legendary comedian Mr. Jonathan Winters, who we talked 
all the way back around two years ago with Davis Rules. So here we go. It's Jonathan Winters, My Day with the Stars. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? I, I just bought this car from that guy. Ran over him. I'm sorry. Come on inside. I want you to meet some of my friends. They've been standing around all day, part of the night. Attractive bunch of people. Allow me, comrade, to introduce myself. I am Alexov Boryash Kashetka. These are my cookies. I have a place not far from here, maybe 200 kilometers, you know, up near Petrograd. And I have Alexov's uh, cookie place. How about a cookie? Just one. Incidentally, four cookies for the one horse. We're not going to ride it, comrade. I want to eat it. <laughs> There's no door to stay here. <laughs> What are you looking at? Everybody is always staring. Ah, uh, the wolves. I love to mock them. They won't bother me because I have cookies. Yes, a rose. Rose is a rose is a rose. My father used to say that. He wore a dress similar to yours. Ah, she seems so still. They confirm it. They want to attack you. They feel that you're the big white person, and once they get rid of you, they can get uh, Wyoming back for sure, Colorado, and a uh, tight standby on Iowa. Okay, lady, let's go over it again. As I understand it, you want to go down to 1216 Silvano Street. I never heard of it. I've lived in the... Oh, gee, what a... Ooh, ooh. You know, you people get into drugs. I don't know, you got into potato chips. You got into uh, guacamole or whatever that stuff is. Oh, oh. I've never seen eyes like that, except on a ping-pong table. Normally, that gets guys like you. Well, I understand that at noon, they'll be coming to get me. About thir 13 guys um, Sunday a week beat up on me in the mail car. That's where I work. Uh, and uh, so all the ribs on this side were fractured, and these were actually taken out. And I just don't know whether to, you know, send to the VA or what for, you know, artificial ribs. I'll, I'll be there. Incidentally, you need an extra gun? I got one. I've never had a chance to use it. I've been held up 46 times. It was, uh, my standard pose is this. Well, that was my day with the stars. Thanks for joining us. Did I say that was my day? Imagine that whole day being wrapped into three and a half minutes. That's all they'd give me. My standard pose is this. All right, I'm going to try to explain it since obviously you're not going to capture it in the audio portion. Now all the links to all the shorts are going to be in the description so you'll have an idea of seeing it in the video portion. But when we first see Jonathan in the Wax Museum, inside the Wax Museum after the introduction, he's giving cookies to this uh, these Russian I presume they're Russian these Russian wax dummies which obviously they don't take the offer of the cookies because Duh. 
and then we see like him giving like I guess a flower to like this lady wax statue, and then we see him with John Wayne Pilgrim. Unfortunately, it's not Happy Thanksgiving, so he can't wish the John Wayne wax statue a Happy Thanksgiving, Pilgrims. And then I guess Jonathan's pretending to be a bus driver while he's next to the wax thing of what I presume is to be Regan from The Exorcist when she's doing the head turn when she's super, super ass-possessed. And it's turning her head while Jonathan's like, And then we see Jonathan on a wax bridge of the Enterprise with wax statues of the crew of the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek. And then he's talking with a wax sheriff. And, yeah, that's basically it. So, let me see. On the the Dave Meltzer-ish scale from the Tokyo Dome, I will give this a... three and a half stars out of five. That sounds about right. Now it's off to Mike for our next segment from Chris Elliott. Next up is Chris Elliott, A Television Miracle, produced by... You got it. Chris Elliott. February 12th, 1982. New York City. A celebrity-studded crowd turns out for the premiere of a new performer on the popular television show Late Night. This night, they will witness a miracle. Join us now as we go behind the scenes and experience together the magic and the mystery of Chris Elliott, Television Miracle. But until that wonderful and glorious day, I'll be right here, watching you, making your life a living hell. I'm watching you, Dad. That always cracks me up. Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. On board the Enterprise, we encountered life forms of many different kinds, but none as astonishing as a computerized marionette that acts as David Letterman's comedic foil. <laughs> I worked with Elliot in Arthur Miller's stunning production of Death of a Salesman at the Winter Garden last year. It wasn't until a week after the show had closed that a friend of mine informed me that Elliot, this magnificent, feeling performer I so admired, and with whom I'd spent many hours, on stage and off, was not human. That's it. Well... Not human, perhaps, but certainly alive. (laughs) Bringing Elliot to life is a job of its creator, Gail Nelson, who has been designing and building puppets since he fled his native New Zealand some 30 years ago. (laughs) You did a lot of work in films and then television in the early 60s. Yes, uh... You know, I designed the hook for Captain Hook in the original Broadway production of Peter Pan. That was really my first special effect. Of course, Shelley Winters was mine. 
But that one never really caught on. I don't know why. I, I guess I made it a little too big. It scared people. <laughs> Chris is kind of a conglomeration of many ideas, actually. For wisdom and humanity, I molded his eyes after Einstein. <laughs> His thick blonde hair is identical to that of George C. Scott. And for his chin, I did something special. I used this golf club, which actually broke when I was sanding it, but I used it anyway because I like the concave effect. Very interesting. Very interesting. Rehearsal is a painstaking and complicated procedure. Every facial expression and body movement must be memorized and practiced to time perfection. Well, kids, good work. I think the cramped quarters often take their toll on the operators. I want some air. Oh, sure. I want some air. Most of whom were recruited from a unique unit of the Israeli Tank Corps. Here, let me cool you down. Put on the air conditioning. That's a good one, Dave. That's a good one, Dave. Good Each one, of Chris's Dave. lines must be created by engineers in the studio. That's a good one, Dave. First, the voice of fight promoter Don Dave, King is recorded. One. That's a good one, Dave. And that's then one, Dave. modulated. That's a good one. That's a good one. And mixed with other sounds until it matches the creator's vision. Dave, that's a good one, Dave. On the soundstage, Dave and the animatron are about to shoot a dramatic fight scene for an upcoming episode of The Fugitive Guy. Well, there's a fight going on. Go ahead, go ahead on. Shoot a trap. Just one, two, one, two, one, two. Quiet! And action! You don't want to be small, do you? The scene is not working. The host refuses to work any further with the full-scale animatron. But the crucial fight sequence remains to be filmed. With time running short, the decision is made to do the scene another way. First, close-ups are isolated and shot using individual hydraulic limbs. Then for the long shots, the entire studio is reproduced in one-sixth scale. And miniatures of Dave and Chris are carefully photographed, employing a technique called stop-motion animation. With careful editing, image enhancement, audio sweetening, and sound effects, the illusion of an actual fight scene is flawlessly recreated. In this scene, as in every scene, you would swear that Chris Elliott is a living, breathing person. Whether as the fugitive guy, 
the regulator guy, the conspiracy guy, or the guy under the seats, or just plain Chris Elliott. This versatile machine makes us laugh, but also makes us think. And that makes us feel good about ourselves. It boggles the mind. Perhaps in the future, all performers will be like Chris. For the sake of the show and all mankind, we can only hope so. I'm George Decay. Until the next time, Warp Factor 2. Knowing what we know about Chris Elliott from Get a Life and his other antics on uh, Dave's shows, that truly is one of the most Chris Elliott pieces I've ever seen. That was truly bizarre, but also at the same time, truly hilarious. Real genius. Plus also, I should mention, they did actually have people from Late Night on that segment, including Gerard Mulligan, one of our favorites. Next, we're going to go back to Chica with Diane Sawyer's shocking expose. Our final entry is Diane Sawyer's shocking expose, and it begins with a letter. Dear Diane, this is a letter to Diane Sawyer from NBC. Dear Diane, is a guy who dresses up in Velcro suits and spends network time on stupid pet tricks funny? I don't think he's funny. Yet every night in that studio, they laugh and laugh. Without that studio audience, he'd be another Mr. Rogers. Wise up, kid. There's a story under your nose. Sincerely, Bob Wright. Now, I don't know who Bob Wright is, but that's not important to this story. What is important is Diane Sawyer getting down to the bottom of this. So, she calls together the forces that made her a name on 60 Minutes in 1986 to file this report. And it begins at the end of a taping of Late Night with David Letterman. And a truck is sending the audience home. Rumor has it, home is Harrison, New Jersey. Nobody knows where Harrison is. This guy's in the background doing God knows what. Nobody, nobody has an answer for Diane Sawyer. Nobody has an answer as to where uh, David Letterman's audience goes when the show is over, except Harrison, New Jersey. So she goes to Harrison, New Jersey, interviews whoever she can find, including this nun who's A, never heard of Harrison, New Jersey, and B, never heard of David Letterman. Uh, so you figure that one out. 
Then we have the police of Harrison, New Jersey. And immediately, I just want to say, welcome to Audit the Audit, where we sort out the who and what and the right and wrong. Oh, wait, there's the audience right there. And we do a quick cut and hey, look, it's Teddy Bradley, ladies and gentlemen. So back at Harrison, Diane Sawyer finds a lead and her videographer finds... Larry Bud Melman making laundry in a storm cellar. <coughs> and after much, after much hunting, we find the audience. They're taking their dog out for a walk. They're playing frisbee. They're being taught stupid audience tricks by this dog Diane is about to make her approach she's making her approach she's going to the lawn and oh nope everybody's alarmed don't be alarmed it's just the media it's okay and now everybody's just staying there gauging the situation and Diane Sawyer has one question for the audience why do you think Letterman is funny? She doesn't have an answer. When did this all begin? How did this all begin? Still radio silence. And apparently it hasn't happened to her since those two weeks in Terre Haute, which, which elicits a response. Asbury Park. Response. Billings, Montana. Response. Muncie, Indiana. Give it up for Muncie, Indiana. So now that Diane Sawyer has the secret sauce, I guess the real question is, well, well, uh, the only thing I can say is, Andy? Boy, did you ever wonder why some people always have to be the center of attention? Before we get any angry responses on social media from our listeners, Bob Wright is the CEO of NBC at the time, which is what Diane was referring to in that letter. Once again, Jeopardy bronze medalist Chico Alexander. So the last one is going to be from Michael J. Fox called The Iceman Hummuff. Now, 1986, one year past... Back to the Future, and obviously, Michael J. Fox is like this king of NBC at this time with family ties. So this is going to be something. And, of course, he's Canadian, so it's going to involve hockey because, duh. Now, this is going to be different from what I've done from my previous two and what is similar to Mike's things. I'm going to do what Chico has done while doing this i'm going to be watching it while giving my commentary during this like a dvd commentary track so let's go with the ice man hummeth oh we got a zamboni and there's michael
visitors with a crappy ass sign there. Oh, one guy was smashing his stick on a Pepsi machine. And I think Michael's in the uh, wrong room here. Oh, but there's Mike. I love that those uniforms there, they kind of like remind me of the Minnesota North Stars jerseys. You know, the um the green with the yellow. Oh look. He's got Michael's got a picture of Dave, a signed picture. Oh, it's Howie! Howie Mandel! And he's carrying a jack strap. I bet that. I bet that scared Howie there, because Howie's kind of a germaphobe. Ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're ready. And this team's ready. Oh, they just threw a dozen pucks out on the ice. Oh, Michael's getting ready with the, the sympathy of violiners. Meanwhile, the other Michael is on the ice with his hockey team. Oh, looks like they're opponents here. I mentioned that his Michael's team has the uh, Minnesota North Stars style jerseys. This other team has the Winnipeg Jets style jerseys with the uh, the red and the white and the blue with the white being the primary color. Let's go. Baseball. And now everyone's fighting and they're getting on the ice. Oh, this is fantastic. And now Michael's looking at the other Michael, and they're just looking at the uh, the symphony. And now they're just, oh, they're everyone's now getting in the dance. This is kind of reminiscent of the end of Slapshot, except there's no stripping at the end of this. Now Michael's pushing one of the people in the orchestra. Now now the orchestra is getting into fighting. Wow, this is taking a turn. Yeah.
Oh, Ben. I gotta say, that was very fantastic. <laughs> it was a very avant-garde thing, but I do like the twist that you're expecting the hockey fight, but no, it's the orchestra having the hockey fight, so bravo. Well done, Michael. Well done. Well, those are the specials. Now, I obviously don't have any information about the first Letterman Holiday Film Festival because, as I theorized at the beginning, I was guessing that it was a replacement for Friday Night Videos on November 30th of 1985. But, as I mentioned, it aired at 10 p.m. in primetime, the second annual Letterman Holiday Film Festival, on November 28th of 1986. And I'm going to give you the lineup courtesy of TV Tango. It was preceded by a new episode of the E-Team at 8, followed by a repeat of Miami Vice. And on CBS, you had a one-hour special called Alabama, My Homes in Alabama. And then at 9 on CBS, you had Dallas, and then a new episode of Falcon Crest at 10 p.m. And opposite on ABC, you had a special at 8 p.m. called The Kingdom Chums Little David's Adventure, a new episode of Stormman at 9, and a special at 10 p.m. called Tears of Joy, Tears of Sorrow. In its time slot, the second annual Letterman Holiday Film Festival finished second at 14.1. Falcon Crest won the time slot with a 17.6 rating, and the APC special at 10 p.m. Tears of Joy, Tears of Sorrow did an 8.3 rating. Well, for two years in 1985 and 1986, a bunch of celebrities came together to present David Letterman with these things on TV. Now, I theorize that this is mostly complete out of all the segments that are out there on YouTube, but if something that we didn't find turns up either on the Letterman YouTube channel or elsewhere, we'll kind of include it maybe as a bonus, as a mini-sode down the line. But I theorize that these are all the segments we have since the full specials themselves are not on YouTube. I know the second annual one used to be on YouTube, at least as of last year, but as far as I can tell, it's no longer on YouTube. I'm guessing maybe that channel had a copyright strike against it or something. Now let's go to Mike with this week in Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour History. It's time for This Week in Match Game, Hollywood Square, Our History. This week is the first week of one of several theme weeks that were done throughout Match Game Hollywood Square's run. This week is the famous, or maybe infamous, depending on how you look at it, Leave it to Beaver Week. And on Leave It to Beaver Week, you had that well-known guest star from Leave It to Beaver, Gallagher. But then you had seven regulars from Leave It to Beaver. Barbara Billingsley, Richard Deacon, in one of his last appearances before he passed away, because he died in 1984, Ken Osmond, Jerry Mathers, Frank Bank, Jerry Weil, and Rich Carell. We joke all the time about how memorable this week would have been if Gallagher smashed a watermelon on the Friday show and irritated Richard Deacon. But there's actually a little bit more that happened that week. One interesting thing is during the match game part of the show, the celebrities had their real names 
on their podiums. But during the Hollywood Squares part, they had their character's name from Believe It to Beaver. Minus, obviously, Gallagher. And believe it or not, this week there are absolutely no head-to-head -head match wins. So this was like a real budget saver uh, for the show. So that's it for this week. We're going to enter 1984 next week with a couple of our favorite celebrities, but also one of our favorite contestants. We'll talk about that in the new year. Have a good new year, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But remember, you can always go to our website over at It Was a Thing on TV where you can listen to the 437 episodes that preceded this one. And we've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including minisodes, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes. We got everything. And remember, we are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon over at It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And remember, if you want to follow us on Mastodon, search for us at It Was a Thing on TV at TVWatch.party. And remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed either Apple, TuneIn Radio, iHeart, Audible, etc. And don't forget we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on our channel. Now, I just want to share a note to our listeners at Place to Be Nation Pop. I know this is not going to affect you, the normal listeners of our Podbean feed. But in our next episode, which of course is our annual Year in Review, the 2023 Year in Review show, that is going to be the final Wednesday drop on Place to Be Nation Pop. Because starting with the next series of episodes following the 2023 Year in Review, we're going to move our drop from Wednesdays to Fridays. There's a reason for that. It's because the schedule was getting really difficult with real life and work and everything and Monday through Thursday in the YouTube channel along with the Wednesday drop on top of that and we've always been a week behind on Place to Be Nation and we've never been up to date and I kind of used that at the beginning when we caught up to episode 59 to be a week behind to add some more extra things but I've been doing that in a long time so I figured you know what might as well be best to be in sync and also when we tape the episodes to when they get dropped on Place to Be Nation Pop, they're like 12 days apart. So at least if they're a week apart, they'll kind of be in sync and current to what's going on or what has been going on. So that'll help. So just to let you know, if you're listening on Place to Be Nation Pop, after the year in review show, new episodes and drops will be on Friday on Place to Be Nation Pop. If you're listening to us on our Podbeat feed, Nothing changes, Monday through Thursday, it's all good. But folks, get ready, because we have the year in review of 2023, and we will close out the year as only me, Mike and Chico can, in our next installment of It Was a Thing on TV as we end 2023. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with the year in review coming up later this week. Row! There's another part of the tradition which I love. And yes. to me, this is the best, single best TV story ever told sure. by a celebrity on TV. Well, of course. Of course. I think you're supposed to applaud now, you idiots. Well, 
my God. I don't know. What? I wouldn't, I wouldn't antagonize the audience now. <laughs> after what we've just lived through. <laughs> All right. Ready? Oh, yes, I am ready. <laughs> I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina when I was a disc jockey. Yeah. And I used to open uh, uh, Dodge dealerships uh, with the Lone Ranger. I would go around and open Dodge dealerships. Now, when you say the Lone Ranger, it was the real Clayton guy. Moore, Clayton the Moore. actual Clayton Moore. He took it very seriously. He was very stoic. Uh, we would go. Uh, he had the guns. He had the, the sky blue outfit. He had the hat. He had the mask. He had the whole thing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we would stand. He wouldn't tell us many things. Once I asked him if Tonto really meant stupid in Spanish, and that's why they call the Indian Tonto. <laughs> And did Kimosabi mean kiss my ass in Navajo? Yeah. You want to say? Yeah. So took it very seriously. Very seriously. Always met, dressed. Met as the children. He was else, the right. Lone Ranger. I was a long-haired guy. My friend Mike Martin and I would go behind the dumpster during the appearance, and we would get all herbed up. Right. And we would <laughs> continue to be herbed up as the appearance went. As the appearance went. So as the appearance drew to a close, we were not sure where we were or what planet we were on or what, what we were doing or who anybody was. And, and we didn't even know what car dealership we were at after a while. Mm -hmm. So I was just about to get my old beat-up Volvo to right. go home, and, it, and, and they didn't have a ride for the Lone Ranger to get back to the Red Roof Inn, uh, which was on Moorhead Boulevard. So he turns to us and he said, could you, someone give me, I said, we'll give you a ride back. Right. So we put him in my old beat-up Volvo, and he sits in the back, and he's the Lone Ranger. Got the mask. He got the mask everything. and the hat and the right. whole thing. And he had to, like, hold his guns to get into the car, you know, and he sits in the back of the car like this, and Mike and I are trying not to act stoned. So we're like... <laughs> We're going about, you know, four miles an hour down, you know. <laughs> We're not saying a word. We stop. It's, you know, 5 o'clock traffic. This middle-aged guy in a Buick in front of us, he, he stopped, and all of a sudden he wants to get out of the traffic. He backs into the car. I can hear my headlight crash. And he pulls away, and he, and he runs away. And I go, my God, he busted my car up. Uh, uh. So I, I, we got to catch it. So I pull out in my Volvo, and I begin to chase him. He got five cylinders. I'm chasing him, you know. And in the back, the Lone Ranger is just in the back like this, <laughs> stoic, not saying a word, just in the back like that, just like that. We chase this guy in the Buick, and we, we, we pull in front of him like that, and Mike and I both jump out, and we go, hey, man, yeah. you crashed into our car back there. He says, I did not. I said, yes, you did. So Mike gets out, and he goes, yes, you did, man. So we're all saying that to him, and he says, well, really, why don't you call the cops? Who do you think they're going to believe, me or you two hippie freaks? And the Lone Ranger gets out of the car. <laughs> He says, they'll believe me, citizen. <laughs> and the guy says, I didn't know it was you. <laughs> didn't know. Didn't know it was you. you. Meanwhile. It was the night before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. <laughs> the stockings were hung by the chimney with care. In hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were all nestled, all snug in their bed, with visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains down for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. And away to the window I flew like a flash. I threw open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow Gave a luster of midday to 
objects below. <laughs> when what do my wondering eyes should appear? When a miniature sleigh and eight tiny little reindeer. Whoa. And with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be Saint Nick. And more rapid than eagles, his courses they came. And he whistled, hey, you, and shouted him by name. Now, Dasher, now, Dancer, now, Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cubit, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now, dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. Ooh. So up to the housetop, the courses they flew, with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas, too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. <laughs> I just drew in my head and was turning around. Down the chimney, St. Nicholas came with a bound, boing. He was trimmed up with fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he flung on his back, Ooh. and he looked like a peddler just opened his sack. His eyes, how they twinkled. <laughs> his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was all tight like a bow, and the beard on his chinny chin chin was just as white as snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it circled his head like a wreath. He had a broad, fat face and a round little belly that shook ho 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 when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. <laughs> a wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work. And he filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying a finger the side of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney boom he rose he sprang to his sleigh to his team gave a whistle hey and away they all flew like a dawn on a whistle but I heard him explain as he drove out of sight Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night oh, 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 oh. I just love this book.